hybrid attack against the European Union. This is about Lukashenko trying to destabilize the European Union. And this is a goal that he shares with the regime in Moscow. By units to target directly both Lukashenko and Kremlin regime. We need to make it very clear to Lukashenko that he will never be the one to decide who enters the European Union. We will protect our borders. The state decides who is arriving and not smugglers and not a dictator. Those were just some of the things we've been hearing in recent debates about Belarus in the European Parliament. As you know, Poland has accused Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus of encouraging thousands of migrants from Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan and elsewhere to travel to Belarus and cross the border illegally into Poland. Though the number of people crossing into the EU is far below the numbers we saw in 2015, the freezing temperatures and the violence along the border have attracted widespread attention from the EU, but also elsewhere. Without a doubt, these events have posed a significant challenge for the Union and all of its decision makers. So what should the EU do? My name is Georgina Wright. I'm your host today, but I'm also the head of the Europe programme at Institut Montaigne, a think tank based in Paris. Today, I'm joined by Esteban gonzalez Pons, Spanish politician and a member of the European Parliament since 2014. He has been a very vocal recently about the situation between Poland and Belarus, so do listen to what he has to say. I'm also joined by Riho Astapenia, director of the Belarus Initiative at Chatham House, a London-based think tank, where he focuses on Belarusian domestic politics and foreign policy. He's also the founder and director of Center of New Ideas, a Minsk-based non-partisan civil society organization promoting democratic reform in Belarus. Esteban, Riho, welcome to What's Next for the EU podcast. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for the invitation. Well, it's great to have you for what is increasingly an, an issue that is dominating EU headlines. Um, Esteban, per- perhaps I could start with you. Um, in a recent intervention on the European Parliament floor, you said that you know Lukashenko was using migrants as a weapon of hybrid warfare. Can you explain to us what you meant by that? Thank you, Georgina. Uh, first, we should say is what a uh, hybrid warfare uh, it is. Uh, it, it means that someone is using not only uh, military weapons, but uh, some non-conventional actions as well. Is Belarus in a hybrid warfare against Europe? The answer, uh, Georgina, should be no, but no, because Belarus is not the real player in this game. The real player is Russia. The one who's in a hybrid war against Europe is Russia. Russia is the main player, the one that moves in the background. Putin is the mastermind behind, and he views the European continent as a chessboard. Uh, my position and the position of my colleagues, the colleagues of my group, it's very clear. While we suffer the migratory crisis in the border with Belarus, Russia is deploying troops in the border with Ukraine. And President Zelensky denounced an attempted coup d'etat against him, supported by Russia. 
what is this if not an hybrid warfare, but not coming from Belarus, coming from Putin. You have the combination of non-conventional action, the migratory pressure in the border of Belarus, with conventional action, the deployment of military forces in the border with Ukraine. What I'm afraid is that Belarus is the distraction and Ukraine is the real objective of Putin. Right. Well, we'll have a, a moment, I think, to come back to Russia um, because you you have said that in the past that, you know, the absence of a dialogue with Belarus, which means that oftentimes if we want to talk about Belarus, we need to go um, and talk to Russia first. But before I do so, um, I want to stick with Belarus and Real, you know, you're considered one of the best experts internationally on Belarus. Um, and some say that Belarus took its decision to accompany migrants to the border and potentially helping them to cross it after the EU imposed new sanctions um, on Belarus over alleged human rights abuses. Now, Belarus has denied that charge. And in a recent BBC interview, Lukashenko said that the EU was actually entirely to blame for this humanitarian crisis at the border. So how would you explain Belarus's recent actions? Thank you. Let me probably start from another point. Although I do understand why people use Belarus and Lukashenko as synonyms, because he runs the country, actually, he didn't win the election and uh, last year, and he runs Belarus illegally. So I would prefer to explain Lukashenko's actions, not Belarus' actions. And uh, the idea behind Lukashenko's actions... Good point. Is, That's a good point. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I think that the idea behind Lukashenko's actions is to increase costs for the West for sanctioning uh, Lukashenko's regime. Uh, moreover, by such kind of revenge against Poland, against Lithuania, against the EU, he would like to force the West to negotiate with him on his own terms. And uh, for him, negotiations on his terms means that, uh, that actually he is so important that Angela Merkel has no other option but to actually just to call him and to talk with him. And after that, he can say to, to himself, to his colleagues, to his officials, his supporters say that, look, the West say that I'm illegitimate, but on the other hand, I'm so powerful that actually they have no other choice but just to talk with me. I think that's the main idea behind the Lukashenko sections on the EU-Belarus model. Interesting, very interesting. Um, you know, Estevan Real just said uh, Lukashenko uh, believes that you know Angela Merkel has no other choice but to talk to him directly. Um, you've obviously been very vocal about what the EU is doing and what it should do more of. So, for example, you said you know we should show more unity with Poland, Latvia, and Lithuania on this issue. We should increase sanctions on Belarus uh, and take care of refugees and migrants when they cross over the border. Can you give us a sense of what the EU has been doing? Because we know that there was this phone call between Angela Merkel and uh, Lukashenko. But what has the EU been doing and what more could it do in your view? I, I, I understand what we are saying when we say that uh, what Lukashenko is looking for, it's a call from Angela Merkel. But uh, that's the same that 
Turkey, I mean, perhaps I should not say Turkey, but Erdogan or Morocco are looking for when we talk about Greece or, or Spain. I mean, what's the difference between what is going on in the Belarus border and what we have suffered in the Greek border or the Spanish or the Italian border? The big difference is Russia. What makes Lukashenko different, it is Putin, is that he is not alone. He is not another dictatorship uh, trying to negotiate directly and get money or power from the European Union. Behind Lukashenko, it is Putin, Vladimir Putin. Lukashenko is not really a uh, free politician. He does what Putin wants him to do. And he's, he's playing games in our border at the same time that he's moving soldiers in the Ukraine border, at, at the same time that Putin is moving soldiers in the border of Ukraine. So, uh, and, and I should say at the same time that we cannot talk with Lukashenko because we don't, we don't have direct communication with him. Uh, perhaps uh, Angela Merkel called him, but she's leaving office. Uh, what we have to do is, as I've said, to stay, to stand uh, at, at beside uh, Poland, Latvia, and Lithuania. Uh, we have to increase action, sanctions, and we have to take care of the refugees because uh, I, I will say it again, refugees are persons, are human beings. They are not weapons. I'm sure we'll come back to that um, as well. Rio, I was really struck in that BBC interview that when Lukashenko was asked about Vladimir Putin, he kind of didn't really want to answer that question. You know, the interview was very much about him uh, and about the Belarusian government and trying to sort of separate um, uh, Russia from that. Um, you know, looking again at sort of what the West and particularly the EU has been doing vis-a-vis Belarus, um, you know, the West decision to impose sanctions, you said in the past, look, that's logical, but it does risk hurting, you know, the Belarusian society much more than it would, uh, for example, the Belarusian government. And actually, you know, Belar- Belarus's opposition leader, Zvetlana Tsinatnuskaya, which real, if you could pronounce that properly for all our listeners, that would be wonderful. Um, so, uh, well, I couldn't even <laughs> attempt to say that, but either way, the, the sort of Belarus opposition leader, you know, in front of the European Parliament really urged the EU to continue uh, to use sanctions, to impose sanctions as a means really to split the circle around Lukashenko. So do you think that's the best course of action? Well, first of all, I should say that I actually voted once in my life, and uh, I voted actually for Svetlana Tsikhanovska, and uh, she's a great person. And uh, I do think that um, many of the EU sanctions are reasonable and helpful, but I'm afraid that relying only on sanctions can be quite dangerous for Belarus. And uh, sooner or later, um, the West will need more diplomatic tools in uh, dealing with Lukashenko. And uh, I'm a little bit worried that probably the West is not capable to manage crisis in Belarus because actually no one is responsible in the West to manage it. Because what we see that there are a few states that are clear hardliners as Poland, as Lithuania, as the US, 
On the other hand, we see that there are steps like this call from Angela Merkel to Lukashenko. On the third you know, hand, we see that there are, for example, Asian partners of, uh, of the West who are actually recognizing Lukashenko as a president. We also see that, for example, Austria is having a conference on the dialogue with Lukashenko and is trying to soften sanctions on Belarus. So I think that what is important, first of all, is actually just to create a a body or contact group or institution that will be responsible for managing the crisis and for dealing with the crisis just to create, to unify Western strategy on Belarus. Otherwise, the West will like shoot in the dark with sanctions now and then or with other ideas that all of them can be, all of these ideas can be okay. I mean, like there are different views and that's okay but on that on the other hand we should understand that we need a unified view and which can be like moving the wall and uh, drive workshop into a corner Estevan, do you agree with that? I mean, you know, to ask you maybe two questions. One, the ideas you said before, do we need, does the EU need a presence in Minsk? Do we, should we try and restitute a dialogue or should we actually rely on those member states who, who do have a presence in Belarus? I think of Poland, but um, I'm sure there are others as well. And building on what Rihor just said, what about this idea of creating a task force to kind of really look at the issue and try and help the EU to speak with one voice? Because to paraphrase Rio, and I hope I'm not doing it wrongly, is, is this view that actually Belarus isn't on member states' conscious on minds every single day, uh, and that actually perhaps that's preventing the EU from speaking with one voice. So what do you think about the task force? What do you think about having an ongoing dialogue with Belarus? And is there anything more that the EU could do? Well, uh, I share the idea uh, of that the European Union should talk with one voice, but not only about Belarus, about all the issues, because uh, what you are pointing, it's the problem that the European Union has first. Uh, We don't have one voice for external policy. And it's not only in this case, any other case you can think about, Uh, the problem of the Europeans is that we have no European position. Every country has its own position. Second, uh, it's difficult. Uh, Europe, the European Union, it's very big and it's highly divided, uh, not only in political terms, also in cultural and physical terms. And it's very difficult to understand what's going on in Belarus for a huge part of Europeans who doesn't know where it's Belarus in the map. Uh, I I come from a country which is not in the West. It is in the West of the West. And most of the Spaniards doesn't know that there is a country called Belarus, which is different than another one called Russia. Uh, And they don't know who's Lukashenko, Lukashenko. But at the same time, if in the Baltic republics you ask about what's going on in Venezuela or what's going on now with the elections in Chile, uh, nobody will see it as an important issue. 
So uh, we are divided uh, for the eastern part of Europe. The western problems are not, are not the first problems. Uh, perhaps we are much more interested in what's going, what is going on in Morocco or in Greece, for example. They are concerned about what's going on in Turkey. So uh, we need that kind of task force. We need to talk with one voice, but not only about Belarus, about all uh, our external positions. And uh, of course, uh, what I'm saying is that uh, what I know, I understand, and I can share is that democracy in Belarus should be our first goal. Uh, and to fight in favor of democracy in Belarus should be our first task. And I can, I can share that. Uh, I'm sure that the best weapon, I, if I can use that word, that we have against Vladimir Putin and Lukashenko, it's our freedom, our, our values uh, to use, to show, to teach, to share our freedoms and our rights and our values is the way to bring Belarus to democracy and perhaps one day to the European Union. We should fight in favor in favor of, of that. I, I, I don't know if I'm taking too much time. No, no, I think it's a, an important um, thing to undervalue and something actually we've heard throughout this podcast series so far. A, the, the inability sometimes or often of the EU to be able to speak with one voice and two, the necessity and actually this idea of values coming back again and again about being one of kind of the things that does um, determine the EU on the global stage, the fact that we share common values and that we defend them. Rio, I was going to ask you, whether you thought there was anything else that EU could do. But actually, I think I am, and I'm sure many listeners would be quite interested in, what do you think the Belarusian society would expect from the EU? Um, and of course, I know that the society is divided and, and not everyone perhaps voted the same way you did. But what do you think with your sort of view, obviously, you know, from Belarus, but also from the West, the fact that you lead this Belarus initiative at Chatham House, what would be your top tips to someone like Estevan, um, but also the other EU institutions and member states about what they should do to help uh, Belarusian society at this time? Well, I think that as people are different, so probably people expect a mix of different tools, of sanctions, of diplomacy, of support for the Belarusian democratic movement, civil society, independent media. Uh, moreover, in my view, there is a clear need to work on the EU positive agenda for Belarus. Uh, just one example. This year, the EU promised, European Commission promised that uh, to allocate several billions of euros to Belarus to implement reforms in the event of a handover of power uh, in Belarus. But actually few Belarusians know about that. Uh, and uh, it, I think this is policy of the European Commission actually not to talk about that a lot. Uh, I don't know why, maybe it's, it should be investigated in a way. But anyway, few Belarusians know about that. Although I think that such packages, such promises can be very helpful uh, to make people think that, that EU is helpful and that 
actually such packages can be also helpful in dividing Lukashenko's elites and they can be helpful in just driving Lukashenko into a corner and moving him that he is supposed to actually deal with Belarusian democratic movement and to have a new free election in the country. So just to sum up, I, I think that we should use a wide a wide range of policy options in dealing with Lukashenko, and this is what people expect from the EU. I mean, I, I take away from that the idea of a of a task force, but also, you know, Estevan and your point about just to have a positive agenda, people need to know that this is actually an ongoing issue on the EU's borders. People need to be aware about what's going on. So even talking about it, and then of course the the combination of existing tools like sanctions, but also assistance uh, where it can be helpful. Now, as you know, um, the EU is kind of undergoing a, a big democratic exercise of, of sort of its own at the moment with the Conference of the Future of Europe, where the idea is to ask EU citizens what they expect uh, for the EU in the future. Um, So I want to finish on a broader question, which I tend to ask all of my guests on this podcast. If you could sum up the future of Europe in one word, what would it be? Um, Riel, maybe we'll start with you and then we can end with Esteban. Well, I'm not an EU citizen, so but but I hope that Europe in the future will include Belarus as well. Okay, enlargement. Uh, Esteban, what about what would your word be? Well, my word was going to be federation, because I think that Europe as a political project will not survive if we don't move together towards a real democratic federation. But I'm going to change my word, and I'm going to say enlargement. Uh, it's for me in the future is so important to arrive to a European federation as to arrive to European Union that includes Belarus. Brilliant. Well, an optimistic note to end on, I think, given everything that we've discussed so far. Um, it was an absolute pleasure, Rihal and Estevan, to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you, Georgina. Thank you, Rior. And good luck, and you can count on us. Thank you. Thank you, Esteban. Thank you, Georgina. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as I did. Thank you for listening again to our fifth episode of What's Next for the EU podcast series. Please join me next year for new episodes. And of course, feel free to share this podcast on your favourite social media platforms. And don't forget to tag the EPP at EPP Group. We'd love to hear from you too. If you want to get in touch or if you have any feedback about the five episodes so far, you can reach us on the EPP website on www.eppgroup.eu, but also on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great end of the year.